Welcome back to another episode of the Next Level Minds podcast. My name is Chris Chapman and I am your host. For those of you who are tuning in for the first time, this is a podcast dedicated to those who want to reach a next level in their business, personal, or career life. Every other week, I'm blessed to sit down with a fully qualified guest, entrepreneur, content creator, or mover and shaker in their industry and walk through their story of how they have gotten from point A to point B and overcame various adversities along the way. Now, before we dive into today's episode, I just wanted to take a second to really reiterate my main goal, which is to impact over 1 million people by helping them reach a next level in their business, personal, or career life. So if you have not done this already, please take the time to subscribe to Next Level Minds on Apple Podcast and share this episode with a family member, friend, or colleague who you think will really get some value out of it. Now, on to today's episode, I am sitting down with Jen Andrews. She's the founder of the Move for Jen Foundation. And what this foundation really is, is a nonprofit that helps amputees really become active again, who have really lost a limb to sarcoma or other affiliated diseases. What they do is they really help these amputees get back on their feet and get back to living the life that they once lived. And the reason she started this organization is because she actually was diagnosed with cancer not once, but two times, and that cancer was sarcoma. And during her second uh, round of cancer, she unfortunately uh, had to get her right leg amputated. And Jen and I chatted on the phone before this episode, and what I can tell you is her story is pretty incredible. Um, just about the things that she's overcame and, and about the learning lessons that's really, you know, packed in there. So I'm super pumped to unpack her full story. Uh, I know we're going to touch a lot on like the importance of mental health and, and also the importance of, of physical health and, and just overall, you know, how to live your life in, in a positive way. And we're also just going to, again, unpack her full story. So other than that, guys, thanks again for tuning in to this week's episode of Next Level Minds. And as we like to say here, your mindset is your greatest weapon for the battle of success. Jan, thank you so much for taking the time to be on the uh, Next Level Minds podcast. Really appreciate it. Yeah, thank you for having me. Yeah, of course. How is your, uh, what is it, Wednesday that we're recording? How's your Wednesday treating you so far? It's good. Um, just staying busy. We just, uh, you know, wrapped up our biggest fundraiser event of the year about uh, two weeks ago. And so we, um, we're we still winding down from that, but I'm doing well. <laughs> yeah, just trying to finish, what, 2020 strong like the rest of us, right? Exactly. Yeah, for sure. So, so before we uh, dive into your story, like I wanted you to take the chance just to highlight, you know, your organization, Move for Jen, and also I know you mentioned that you're in process of getting your book published. So, I would love if you could just kind of take the rein and, and let the listeners know just about Move for Jen and, and also your upcoming book coming out as well. Yeah, definitely. So, um, Move for Jen Foundation is my nonprofit. We're a five hundred one c three local in Charlotte. Um, we try to help local first, but we do help nationally. 
We help fund activewear prosthetics to people who lose a limb to sarcoma, cancer, and affiliated disease. So for those of you who are unfamiliar with uh, sarcoma, it is a rare cancer without a cure. It's extremely underfunded. There aren't good research options. Um, there's not good treatment options. And unfortunately for a lot of people, depending on the subtype that they have, it ends in amputation. And I learned very quickly being an active person that activewear prosthetics are not covered by insurance. They um, don't make one prosthetic that does everything. So if you want to run, you need a special running blade. If you want to swim, you need a waterproof leg. If you want Want to ski and snowboard, you need a specific prosthetic for those sports. And so um, we kind of come in and help bridge the gap between what the active amputee needs and what insurance doesn't cover but should. Mm. I like that you guys cover that that gap. I mean, you you obviously saw that problem that that's in the market, um, whether in a nonprofit or or a for-profit company. I think that's super important. And and it definitely sounds like that needs there, especially for those active people out there like yourself. Yeah, absolutely. You know, for me, um, when I, I remember sitting down in my initial prosthetic appointments um, after I lost my own leg to sarcoma, and we'll get more into that later, but um, I remember I just, I was a health and wellness coach prior, and I was so anxious to run again. It was just, I had to do it. And so I remember talking with them, and I said, okay, well, we already talked about my regular walking foot, so let's talk about running blades. And they looked at me, and they said, well, running's extra. And I said, okay, well, what does that mean? And they said, well, running is 100% out of pocket if you want a running blade. And it is going to be anywhere between five dollars and $50,000 for that prosthetic. And that prosthetic will last you between three and five years. And then it will need to be replaced. So it got me thinking. I remember leaving that appointment. And thankfully, and I'm, I'm so fortunate that I'm not somebody who is swimming in medical debt. I don't have medical debt. But there are so many families, unfortunately, who do suffer um, financially when when cancer happens. And so um, it really got me thinking about all the people who weren't being active because of the financial burden. And so that killed me, especially thinking about all the kids out there. Um, for those of you who don't know, uh, sarcoma makes up between 15 and 20% of all pediatric cancers. And so it definitely is a problem when it comes to pediatrics. And, uh, you know, I'm a mom and I can't imagine telling my child they can't run because I couldn't afford it. Um, that killed me. And as a, as an adult, I can't imagine not taking my dog on a run or just doing what I want to do. So that's kind of why we launched what we launched. <laughs> yeah. And speaking of dogs, before we recorded, you said you just got a new puppy. So definitely got to take that dog out. Yes, for sure. We've been out a lot with her. <laughs> <laughs> no, definitely. Well, well, you touched on it a little bit. Um, I know when we chatted prior to the episode, uh, you mentioned that you beat sarcoma not once, but but actually twice. Um, so I know within that itself, there's there's obviously a story there. So I would love if you could just kind of let the listeners know your background a little bit. I know you have moved for gin, but with all that, I know there's like a story behind all that. So. Yeah. So um, I, well, I guess before I launched a nonprofit, um, I had eight years of insurance um, under my belt. So I, I worked in the insurance industry. Um, I did group insurance, which is insurance for companies. And then after eight years of that, I decided to um, become more entrepreneurial and I became a health and wellness coach and started working for myself. I loved just helping people. Um, wellness was really important to me. Um, being active was really important to me, nutrition, all those things. And then um, after I kind of made that transition, I was diagnosed with a rare form of sarcoma. So the kind that I had was 
was so rare. Um, just for anybody listening, um, my story is kind of crazy just because it was found while I was getting a pedicure. So um, the nail tech who was massaging my feet, which like most women who enjoy going to get a pedicure and men, there's plenty of men who like pedicures, um, that uh, they were massaging my feet. And when they pressed down on the top of my foot, you really had to press hard. But I, the woman found a pea-sized nodule on top of my foot. I didn't have any pain. I didn't have any symptoms. I had no issues. And um, she asked me if I had ever noticed it. And I hadn't. So after I left that um, that appointment, I made a, an appointment with um, a physician that I know very well. And he told me that uh, it was nothing to worry about, that it was probably a benign cyst. It's common. It's nothing to be concerned about. And I didn't have any pain. So I just thought, okay, yeah, it's fine. And then um, when I was pregnant the second time with our son, um, my, my kids are 14 months apart. And when I was pregnant the second time, it went from a pea-sized nodule to a golf ball on top of my foot. So I knew I needed to do something, but um, being young and pregnant, they don't do anything for you. So I waited until after um, I had my son and then um, I was biopsied. Everything came back benign. Again, we still thought this was no big deal. And we decided I still needed surgery anyway, just because of the location. Um, as a woman, I like to wear high heels. I like to dress up. I like to wear strappy sandals. And all of that really wasn't a great option when I had this mass on my foot. So I had surgery. And then 10 days post-op, I went to that appointment thinking that I was just going to have stitches removed, maybe check my incision, no big deal. And um, I was blindsided to find that I had a rare form of sarcoma. So the tricky part about my cancer was that when they biopsied me every which way, um, everything came back benign. And most of my tumor was benign, but the bottom layer that attached to my foot is where all the cancer cells were. So that's why we didn't catch it until after the surgery. Um, I was in remission for three years and I thought for a while, maybe this isn't something I have to worry about. And so um, I was followed by scans and um, things of my lungs and my foot for three years because if my cancer was going to spread, most of the time with sarcoma, it'll go straight to your lungs. Um, and so um, at my three-year appointment, I went in, again, I had no symptoms. I had no pain. I had no issues. And I found out after my scans at my three-year mark that it came back as a three-millimeter layer over my entire right foot. So there was nothing I could do to salvage the situation. And if I wanted to rid myself of cancer and have the best chance at a cancer-free life, I was going to have to amputate my right foot. Wow. So... It's heavy. It's a lot. Yeah. yeah, there is a lot to unpack there. Um, so, so going back, I guess, before we get into, you know, what it was like dealing with that first diagnosis and then later dealing with having to, you know, amputate your right foot. Um, you did mention that you were doing some, some insurance work and then you went into the, uh, the health and wellness side of things, just entrepreneurial. I mean, I was just curious. I mean, what made you kind of make that jump, especially to that, that health and wellness side of things? So it's actually kind of a, a funny story. Um, I was I was in insurance for eight years, and I worked for a really incredible company. Um, actually, Lincoln Financial Group. I worked with them for uh, a while, and now they are the title sponsor of many of our events, which is amazing. That's cool. Um, yeah, it is very cool, and it's really fun to get to work with that office in a whole new capacity. And um, and not that I'm going on this tangent, but also um, the man who runs their office locally in Charlotte, Brian Holly. He's also on my board of directors now. So it's funny how everything kind of comes back full circle. But when I left Lincoln Financial Group, I went to go work for another insurance company that um, 
was an established insurance company. I, I won't name which company this was, but um, it was an established company that was just starting out a group insurance division. And so it was almost like having this entrepreneurial opportunity in a well-established company, which was very cool to start. But unfortunately, the way that things kind of played out, um, the decisions being made on how to build and run that business were being made by people that didn't necessarily have a background in group insurance. And so things kind of ended up going south um, and a lot of people left. And for me, I was getting ready to have a child, so I wasn't in a position to leave. And so um, they ended up, because they weren't doing as well as they wanted to be doing, they ended up doing a, um, a reorg and a restructure. And so they eliminated many regions and mine happened to be one of them five days before I was scheduled to have a baby. So, yeah, it's a lot. And so when that happened, um, then I had I had my second child and then I was diagnosed with cancer. And during that whole process is when I kind of decided, let me see what I can do on my own. And so I kind of gave myself benchmarks and I said, okay, I'm going to hit this goal and take on this many clients and I'm going to make X amount of money by this date. And if I do, I'm going to keep going. And if I don't, then I'm going to go back and find another insurance job. And every benchmark that I set for myself, I hit. So mm. I just kept going. And, um, and it got to a point where I didn't need to go back and find something else because I was able to sustain on my own. That's crazy. Like five days before your pregnancy, then that, that happened with the reorg. Yeah, it was really bad. Time. <laughs> oh my God. Yeah. Unfortunately for them, then they got stuck with all my cancer claims after, but, um, <laughs> it's kind of karma, I guess for them. I don't know, but, yeah. uh, but yeah, it was, it was an interesting time for sure. But you know, we all, we all go through things and, and timing, uh, is not always, you know, in our favor. And, um, I've definitely learned that over the last few years, but, um, one thing that I'm very big on now, and I've done so much self-development for myself on, um, how to handle yourself and process hard things. And, um, you know, you can't always control what happens to you, but you can control your response. And so, you know, I don't let myself dwell in the situation. I allow myself to have feelings and get it out. And then I move forward and I say to myself, how can I change the situation? So, you know, while most people don't lose a job the week before you're having a baby and get diagnosed with cancer after like your child is eight weeks and, you know, three years later, losing a leg. It's just, it's all, and I say it and it sounds so ridiculous just because of the series of events, but, yeah. um, but you can control how you feel about it and you can control how you react to it. And, um, I'm not somebody who sits and dwells in my situation. And now I, um, I've kept the entrepreneurial side, but now I use it in a whole new capacity and I'm no longer a health and wellness coach, but I'm very much wellness focused and I help mm -hmm. other people. So, um, it kind of, it's almost like everything just happened the way it was supposed to happen. Yeah, no, for sure. I think, um, I think that's really cool that you mentioned just the importance of like that you're in control. That's something that I really try to remind myself a lot when things go south. It's like, Hey, you're in control of your attitude. You're in control of your behavior. Um, and I think sometimes as human beings, just with so many different like macroeconomic things that are happening right now that are affecting you, I, I think it's hard to realize that sometimes. So. I totally agree. I think too, even just comparing it to the pandemic, I found myself where, I almost feel like I've been seasoned to be able to handle a situation like this because I've been through worse than this <laughs> for me personally, not globally. But, um, you know, so I feel like I, 
I, I know how my emotions kind of flow and I know how to handle it. I know how to recognize what I need emotionally and physically to make myself, I guess, thrive and, and move forward. And so, yeah, to your point, I just, it, it's just one of those things. I think for me, um, when I was going through all of my hard times, I was so, there were so many things that I couldn't control. So I had to grasp at anything that I could. And these are just all things that you can. And the great part about it is even though obviously I had to learn a really hard way, you apply all these things, no matter what situation you're in. I mean, if you're going through a hard time or you're going through a, you know, a job loss or a sickness or a, you know, a sick family member or a relationship problem or a breakup or a divorce, whatever the situation is, the emotions are all the same. And you still go through, you know, the shock, the grief, the pulling yourself up, the moving forward. And so all of that applies for everything. Yeah, no, I, I like that a lot. And and what's interesting too is, I, I don't know if you feel this way, but sometimes when something bad happens, you're like, ah, oh, this is the worst thing ever. And then, you know, a year later, something else bad happens, you're like, this is the worst thing ever. So. <laughs> yes, <laughs> for sure. Yeah. So something that you mentioned um, when you were like kind of making that jump to the entrepreneurial route was you you kind of like reverse engineered uh, your goals and like, okay, if I don't get this amount here or this amount here, then I'm going to go back to the insurance route. Have you always been like very motivated and goal driven like that? Or where did that come from? I think so. I mean, I always think about like, even when I was in insurance, um, whenever I, you know, got good in my role, and then I wanted more. Um, I was always looking for more. Like I always wanted to do more. And so once I kind of, you know, excelled in my in my one area, I was ready to to keep taking on more and taking on more. And that's the only reason why I ended up switching companies is because um, there weren't any openings for me to take on anymore where I loved, you know, where I once was. And so um, I think for me, that's just always been something that's just been inside me. Yeah. I love that. How can people, it sounds like you have some self-awareness too when, um, you know, you started that organization and realized like, hey, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to make this jump and try this out. Like how, how do you think people can start to develop more, I guess, self-awareness based on situations that are happening to them? I think a lot of it is just kind of knowing who you are, like mm-hmm. knowing what your strengths are, knowing what your weaknesses are, knowing where you need to push yourself. I think it's also recognizing your um, emotional patterns of, okay, I did well at this. I'm going to keep going. And maybe I didn't do so good at this, but instead of quitting, I'm going to push myself and I'm going to try a different way this time. And I think just recognizing patterns within yourself, um, is key. Yeah. I I love that too, because I think finding that clarity on like, all right, I'm good at point A, I'm good at point B, I'm good at point C, but I'm horrible at doing, you know, object D, uh, cause that way you can kind of go all in on your strengths and, and drop things that you're not good at. Mm-hmm. Exactly. Yeah, for sure. So when you, okay, so you got your nails done. You, you said you got a pedicure, correct? Yeah. Um, and I assume you didn't go there expecting to, to hear some of the news that you did shortly after that. Um, so, so what was that like? Just kind of that initial reaction of, of getting that unfortunate news about the, um, the cancer there. Um, it was a lot. When I was first diagnosed post-surgery, um, like I told you, I, I had just had a baby eight weeks before. And so um, when I went for my follow-up appointment, you know, I had biopsies and everything before my surgery. So in my mind, I thought, oh, I'm in the clear. This is no big deal. And when I went for my follow-up after my surgery, I had my 17-month-old and my three-month-old with me thinking that, oh, I'm just going to have my incision checked. 
fast. And so to walk into an appointment like that with pretty much two babies and I mean, it was just, um, it was a lot. I was shocked. I remember when he first said sarcoma, I had never even heard of sarcoma. So I didn't know that sarcoma was cancer just because it was never part of my world. Obviously I knew, I know people and I knew people who have had cancer, but it was never called sarcoma. So I just, I was very unaware. And once I started researching and, and learning more, um, I realized how, how scary of a diagnosis that really is. And so for me, I remember in that initial appointment, I said, well, what if I don't want to have to worry about this again? And in my mind, I thought, oh, well, go in and do another surgery and carve out a clean margin. Um, but unfortunately, when it's your foot or your hands, there's nothing else you can really take. You know, he explained it to me in that first appointment. And he said, take your fingers and run them over your hands. Like, what do you feel? You feel skin, you feel tendons, you feel bones. There's not anything else that we could have taken. He said, you know, if this was in your thigh or your arm where there's muscle, there's more options for you. But unfortunately for where it is, there's nothing we can do. And when it came back, you know, initially we thought if it came back, we would catch it early in a scan and it would come back the same way it started in a small spot. We'd carve it out and move forward. But unfortunately for me, when it came back in a three millimeter layer over my entire foot, there was nothing I could do to save that. And being young and healthy otherwise and active and I have two young kids, I'm married and I have a family. And even if I wasn't married and didn't have a family and didn't have kids, I mean, I'm young. So um, having cancer take my life wasn't an option if I could control it. And so even though I didn't like that option of having an amputation, um, I didn't want to not be here. And so that trumped everything. Mm. I've kind of a random question with that too. Like, sounds like you have so much going on, like even now, but especially when all that was happening and mentioned like, you know, you had your husband and your, and your two kids, like with all that going on, how, how did you kind of remain present when you, when you were being with them? So, um, it's a good question. Yeah. It's a good um, question. Cause I like struggle a lot with being present when I have bad things happen to me or even just like stressful times. So that's kind of a selfish, just question that I want to kind of learn from. So. No, I think, um, I think learning to, for me, I think learning to cope with your emotions is, and cope is really the best word I can give you. It, it's, you know, like I said, I, I'm not somebody who internalizes. I can't internalize. I'm, I'm so talkative. Um, and I'm so just, I don't want to say I like word vomit, but I just need to, I need to let it out. And so I allow myself to kind of let out when I need to let out. I allow myself to grieve in the moment that I need to, or be frustrated or be upset. But the key is, is to not let yourself sit in that emotion too long. And so there's a fine line with letting yourself feel and letting it swallow you. And I never let it swallow me. And so for me, um, I have made a point and I've kind of taught myself this over the years is I don't, when I'm going through something hard, I don't allow myself to look at the whole situation. I have it compartmentalized into sections. So maybe I know I have an appointment coming up. I only allow myself to focus on that one appointment. And when I'm done, I cross it off my list and I move forward to the next thing. And it's the only way for me really, especially in a medical situation like that, to be able to process everything that's happening without being completely overwhelmed. Um, It's hard. And as far as being present goes, I mean, I know for me, I'm like a very outgoing, talkative, happy 
person in my normal stature. And when I was going through all of my, um, my cancer diagnosis and especially my amputation, I became this very quiet, um, recluse version of myself, which is not who I am at all. And um, one thing that I've been very open with is when I was going through that, um, I did, you know, need to rely on taking um, anti-anxiety meds because it was taking over. And I'm, I, you know, it's not something that I had to do long term, but it's something that was situational. And I recognize that. And I think a lot of people sometimes are afraid to ask for help when they need help. And sometimes you, you need, you know, to talk to somebody or sometimes you need, you know, medications to help you cope with things. And I'm not suggesting anybody take anything that they really truly don't need. And I'm definitely not telling anybody that they should rely on medication, but there are times when it's necessary. And um, I've been very open with that because I feel like mental health, especially this year over any other year, um, it's just so valid. And, um, and I've always just been really open with that. Yeah. And, and to your point about mental health, like, even right now with unfortunately these lockdowns happening and people just staying inside all day. I mean, I think depression's risen by 42% or some, you know, significant number like that. Yeah, I know. It's, yeah, it's hard. You know, I, one thing I've learned um, over the years and, and this goes hand in hand too with the mission of our foundation, but how much movement affects your mood. Mm. And so, you know, making sure to do something for yourself every day. I mean, if you're not someone who loves to run then go on a walk, but just get the fresh air and get your body moving. Or if you're someone who does like to run, like set those times and time block that for yourself. And then, you know, if you're someone who likes a group fitness class, obviously, you know, some people feel comfortable in that atmosphere right now. Some people like I love group fitness, but right now I'm not comfortable enough to go into a class. And, um, I do it for my living room and, um, and I love it. It's not the same as working out with, you know, my group of people that I normally would, yeah. but it's still giving me that, um, that sense of release that I need to keep a clear head. Yeah. I, I love the group, uh, group classes as well. Cause it's like you're slacking off a little bit and you have, you know, 10 other people pushing you forward to keep going. So yeah, totally. Um, yeah. To your point about the exercise, like that is so true. Cause I feel like sometimes people think like, oh, mental health is just reading and journaling. And then, you know, I'll figure out the, the exercise stuff later. But I've learned through a lot of like my experience that the physical health and mental health both play hand in hand. Like I know in November, yeah. um, I just did a challenge for myself. And one of those challenges was working out every day. Um, not every day was I like going to the gym for an hour, but even a 10 minute run on like a Saturday. And it's like at the end of November, I mean, I felt great because I was just so physical mm -hmm. and active the whole time. So what are your thoughts on all that? I completely agree with you 100%. Um, I think that they go very much hand in hand. So to your point, um, even like during my hardest days, I remember going out and I might be walking into a class crying because I'm stressed out about something on the outside world. But when I would leave that class, I always felt better. And so I 100%, there is a direct correlation between exercise and mindset. And to me, that, that to me is the best form of medicine you can do for yourself for so many different reasons. And a lot of times just doing that will alleviate your need for other medications. Um, again, there are situations where all of the above are valid. And I agree with what you're saying earlier too, about journaling and writing. Um, that was also something that I found very helpful you know, when you're going through something like I went through, a lot of people are constantly asking you for updates on what's going on. And so to me, I took to blogging because it was an easy way for me just to put it out there once. And then everybody who 
cared to read it, could read it. And I wasn't having to repeat myself. And that emotionally helped me. Um, but even just journaling and writing and just getting your emotions out, whatever that looks like for you, I think that that also is just so important. And I don't think people realize how much sometimes you just need to let it out in different capacities. Maybe you're talking to a friend, maybe you're writing it out, maybe you're running it out, whatever the situation is. But sometimes you need all of those outlets. Yeah, sometimes it's so bad you need all of them at at once. It's been there. Yeah, that's so cool. By the way, that you that you started a blog. Like, I didn't even think about all the texts and calls and emails of like, "Hey, are you okay? What's going on?" Like, what what made you think of that? Um, I think initially when I when I kept having to repeat myself the first couple of weeks, it was so hard. Like, I remember especially, well, when I was first diagnosed, I sent out like an email blast for whoever needed to really know because I just couldn't repeat it because I was so emotional. Um, And then when it came back, you know, obviously all of the people who were so important to me knew my scans were coming. So people, when they didn't hear from me right away, were like, oh, well, what were the results? And having to repeat that was so emotionally tolling that I just... I almost got to the point where I couldn't, I just couldn't physically talk about it anymore. And so for me, if I wrote it out once, I got all my emotion out and then I didn't have to repeat it to my grandma and my uncle and my best friend and my mom and my whoever. I I just put it out there once and then my friends, like everybody could just read it. And it just, it took the pressure off me having to repeat myself um, so many times and it just, it just made it easier. And then also it kind of ended up snowballing because I ended up helping people that I didn't even know needed to be helped. And so that was the really cool part about it. Wow. I, yeah. I didn't even think about that either of like, you know, random people maybe that you don't even know started probably reading it or something. Yeah. So my, yeah. So when my, when my, all my stuff happened the week before my surgery. Um, and at this point I had already been blogging it out for three months cause I was diagnosed again in January and then I had my surgery in March, hmm. but the week before my surgery, I felt compelled to do this Facebook live and it really was supposed to go out to my friends and family and my clients of my health and wellness business. And I pretty much just went on there and um, I requested everybody to get out and exercise in their favorite way on my surgery day because I would be unable and to appreciate that mobility and movement is the gift and that not everybody has the privilege. And um, that video ended up going viral. And I want to say it has like almost 90,000 views now. Wow. And um, it's kind of crazy. So when I woke up from surgery, um, the first thing my husband says to me is like, get your phone. And I was sitting there so drugged. And I'm like, I haven't even looked down yet. I, I haven't even seen my missing leg. Like I'm still on so much medicine. Cause you know, for anybody who's ever been put out in surgery, you wake up, you're so groggy. Oh yeah. You're out of it. <laughs> yeah. You're out of it. You're just not. Yeah. And he's like, get your phone. And I'm like, can I just, ha-? he said, get your phone. So I got my phone and I had hundreds and hundreds of messages from people all over who had seen my Facebook live and felt wow. touched emotionally and felt compelled to get out and move. So there were dance classes of like little girls holding up move for Jen signs. There were all these people out running that day from like all over the United States. Um, I had people like someone in England read it. I had people in New Zealand. I had someone in Australia. Um, just, it was so cool. And so it almost unintentionally created this movement. Um, 
and I got these messages, like the ones that um, got me the most were people who dealt with like hardcore depression. And mm -hmm. I had people who wrote to me that they hadn't gotten off the couch in two years and they watched my video and took their dog on a walk and it was the best they had felt emotionally in, in as long as they could remember. And so that impact was huge. And I also think, and my mom says this all the time, but she says that the way that that all played out and the positivity that came back to me because of that video is what pulled me through. And it's so true. Wow. I, I That's like so crazy to unpack this story right now because I feel like if I would have got all those messages after just making a, a Facebook Live, I mean, I would have probably started like tearing up right there in the hospital after seeing all that. It, it was a lot, but you know, it's funny because after I got home, um, cause I, yeah, I did read it all and I tried so hard to reply to every message that I could. But, um, when I got home, I remember once I wasn't as medicated because if you go home having a surgery, like I had, you go home very medicated because I've of pain it. control. And, um, yeah, it's a lot. Um, but once I, I was able to come off of all that, um, I, I sat in bed one night and I read, I reread every single message that was sent to me. And I sat in bed and just cried and cried because it was so touching how so many people who didn't know me just felt so touched and so compelled to reach out and kind of spread the love and spread positivity. And especially, you know, during a time like this, where feels like our country is so divided. Um, we're all isolated because of a pandemic. There's just so many political things going on that it just reminds you that people are good. Mm. And there's so many good people out there. And there's so many people with big hearts that remember that it doesn't matter what your view is on this or what your view is on that. We're all human. And so, um, it just, it almost like I, and I wrote this in so many posts, like throughout that year that, you know, going through what I went through and having the response that I did from all of these people just really restores your faith in humanity. Yeah, I bet that that's interesting. You bring that up because it's like hard just looking at external things and it's like, you know, it, this is super weird, but if you're an alien just looking at earth right now, you're probably just think like, oh, all humans are evil, but no, they're really not. Like all humans are, are good. <laughs> yeah. Like, you know, so I think that's cool. Mm -hmm. Yes, I agree. Um, and so with the messages that you were getting, remind me, was that before Move for Gin officially kicked off or was that kind of what like sparked your, your nonprofit? That's kind of what sparked the nonprofit. So it kind of, you know, during that Facebook Live, um, and I was requesting things, a friend of mine, um, who I met through my health and wellness business, she said, you need a hashtag. Like she commented on the video. She was like, you need a hashtag. It should be hashtag move for Jen. And then that took off. And then all of a sudden that became like a thing. And so I thought, okay. And then we, like once I quickly learned that, you know, prosthetics weren't covered. Um, and I knew I wanted a running blade and I knew I wanted to run again. So for me, I, you know, again, with the benchmarks and the goals, I set um, two goals for myself after my surgery. So I lost my leg in March. Um, I wanted to walk unassisted without crutches by May, which was my birthday. So um, I was able to do that um, eight weeks post-op which was really good, like no crutches, yeah. just walking. Um, and then I wanted to run a 5K by the end of the year. And I was able to do that without stopping six and a half months post-stop. 
So I ran um, the Isabel Santos Foundation race locally in Charlotte. And, um, and that was awesome. Actually, my oncologist came and ran it with me. And at that oh, point, really cool. it is really cool. He is the best doctor in Charlotte. I'll just say that. But um, <laughs> yeah, so, um, so it just kind of became, you know, almost like a movement. And then like the Move for Gen movement. And then we launched our nonprofit. And, um, and it's just been so cool because um, we've been able to, at this point, we've been able to fully fund 14 people to become active again wow. in the last two years. Um, and we're planning on trying to do a little bit more before year end if we can squeeze everything in. Um, but it's really cool. And the cool thing about my foundation is, is that, yes, it's called Move for Jen. And, yes, it started with me. But the best part about it at this point in my journey is that the foundation is no longer about me. Mm. And that's the cool part. It's about the people that we help and their stories and their communities and rising them up and that's just the best part. You know, we're, we're having, we're able to kind of restore what cancer stole for these people and we're giving them back a piece of their life. And that's the best part of it. Yeah. I love that. And it's like, I'm sure that that keeps you going when you know that you're impacting lives like that, right? Oh yeah, for sure. Um, some of the responses that we have gotten, it fuels me like nothing else. And when you give somebody back, their mobility, it is unlike anything you've ever experienced before. And, you know, for us as a nonprofit, it's always important to me to show people where their money goes. And I've said that from day one. I mean, you can donate to a nonprofit all day and you might be told where it goes, but when you get to be in the emotion of that, it's completely different. And so um, our big fundraising event is um, a 5k race. Last year, it was our inaugural event in person in Charlotte. And we gave two surprise grants at the race so people could be there and experience firsthand what it's like to be in that moment. And it was so raw and real and emotional. And I think it just connected people so much because you can pay $30 and sign up for a race. But what does that really mean? And so when you get a thousand people who come together and pay $30 for a race, you know, you can do really big things. And so we were able to do really great things. And, um, and I think that that was really, really well received. Yeah. And, and that grant money was used to purchase prosthetics or? Yeah. So we have purchased um, anything from running blades to waterproof legs to cycling knees and specialized seated sockets. We've done racing wheelchairs and our latest grant that we just gave two weeks ago at our virtual race um, was for this awesome um, snowboarding and skiing prosthetic that is so cool like when she sent in the request um it's i mean it's it's amazing um and it it excites me so much and i'll be honest that grant that we gave two weeks ago at the race was probably about three times the cost of what we normally spend maybe even almost four times because it was such a specialized product that she Mm -hmm. needed but once I talked to her on the phone for the first few interviews, I knew that she was going to use what we what we were going to give her. And there's such a difference between funding somebody who's going to casually use something and then somebody who's going to take the tools and just go for it. And she is definitely one of those people. And if you are on Facebook or um, Instagram or on LinkedIn, I shared the interview with her 
um, from our race when we, you know, we told her it was supposed to be like a sarcoma story where we highlight her story, which we did. But then at the end is when we surprised her and gave her the grant and her emotion was just so genuine. And it was just such a cool moment. Yeah. You could just tell she was so excited about it, huh? Yeah, she was just, it was awesome. So it's really, it's really exciting and fun when you know that you're changing someone's life. You're not just giving them something to mm. use here and there. Like what it really truly changes their life is what it's all about. And so that fuels me. And then I just am ready to go again and raise more money and give people more feet. <laughs> yeah. What What's like, what was it like giving the, I guess, first um, person, you know, a prosthetic leg from, from raising money? Like, do you remember what that story was like? Oh yeah. Um, it was it was good. So I remember it was the end of 2018 and my husband and I were in the car driving to, we're going to Asheville for the weekend. And I was like, we need to end the year. Great. Like we need to give our first grant, like before the end of the year, like let's end it. And he was like, let's do it. So I'm like in the car, we're supposed to be having this like fun weekend away. And I'm like, I got to work. Like you drive. And when we get there, we'll be done. But like, I just have to make this work. So I'm calling all these prosthetic companies. I'm calling the prosthetic offices. And within an hour, I had lined everything up. And I was so excited. And we ended up surprising this local fireman. Um, he was 21. And he lost his leg to sarcoma. And he could no longer run into a fire and, and help people. He could no longer run and do the training with his team. And so um, he really wanted a blade to be able to take back some of those things that were lost. And so we um, arranged for him to come in for like a regular fitting at the prosthetic company at the office that he went in. And um, we were waiting with some of our board members. We like decorated the room with streamers and balloons and we had the blade all ready for him. And he walked in and we surprised him. And um, it was it was awesome. I remember like my heart was pounding, my hands are shaking and I was so excited. It was just such like a, it was such a full circle moment. But um, once I did it once, I was like, okay, we got to keep doing this. <laughs> so. Yeah, I'm sure that's kind of like addicting in itself, just like surprising people and helping them out with that. I love surprising people. It's like my favorite, but I feel like at this point, I mean, People probably know it. I don't know. If you've, if you've done enough research about me and our foundation, you can probably kind of tell when it's coming and when it's not coming, but, but maybe not. I try to be as discreet as possible. Yeah. You're like, wait a second. Why are they filming me right now? In the- <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's like, it's like the show Undercover Boss. It's like they got to know by now that if they bring in a camera to a new employee, that it's actually the boss of the organization. So. Exactly. Yeah. No, it, it's good. And we don't, we don't record every grant we give because, you know, for some situations, privacy is necessary. And we might tell you that we gave a grant, but for the situation, like we had a young girl that we helped who um, had a relapse and um, she, and then her mom dealt with COVID like all at the same time. And so we didn't like go into the, like, we didn't put her on film. We just, you know, did what we wanted to do as far as helping her and move forward. And, and there are other cases like that, that just don't get publicized as much because of the circumstances. But um, the ones that we do get to share, I just think it's really important because again, for people who are donating to us, I mean, as an individual who runs a nonprofit, I want, you know, it, it, people are taking their hard earned money and giving it away to help other people. I want them to know where that money goes and see and feel where that money goes. And so that's what I try really hard to do. Yeah, I agree. I, I love that as well because I, I've donated to like a few nonprofits. Um, 
in Honduras and like they're great organizations, but it's like, I donate. I'm like, okay, like where exactly is this going? So I like that, that your organization, you know, you can donate money and then you can just like kind of see it, it pay off and in relation to helping other people, which is huge. Yeah, no, that's my favorite part. And I think also it goes to show like, obviously we have some donors who are like very high donors, but then we also have a lot of people who will donate, you know, $10, $25, $50, $100, whatever that is. But when so many people do it, it adds up so much. And then we're able to do really, really big, cool things. And so um, I guess that just goes to show no donation is too small. Like it always just, it keeps paying it forward. Yeah, no, I agree. Um, So it sounds like you have obviously used a lot of setbacks, um, especially like 2018, you know, losing your right foot um, to actually turn those into setups of helping people grow. Like, What's some advice out there that people that may be dealing with just a tough situation, whatever it may be, that they can turn a setback into not only a setup for themselves, but also maybe to like help other people grow? Yeah, I think, um, you know, I think we all process different situations um, differently. I think that sometimes you go through things where you process it and you think like, I never want to deal with that again. I never want to speak of it again. I just want to be done. And I respect and understand that. But I think there are other opportunities in unfortunate situations where the circumstances might not be ideal and good, but you could use it to learn and grow as an individual. And then you can take that and say, well, how can I help other people because of my misfortune? And that's kind of where I've taken my journey. Um, not to say that that's right or wrong. Uh, everybody processes things differently. Um, there are plenty of people that I've met with sarcoma who heal and want to move forward. But you know, for me, I, I remember feeling so alone in my situation. And regardless of if it's cancer or um, you know sickness or a relationship issue or a work issue, if you feel isolated, that's the worst feeling you can have. And so for me, it was just so important that anybody that I could help not feel the way I felt was just so important to me. And that's kind of why I chose that journey. Um, for other people who might be experiencing similar emotions, I think you just need to assess where you are. If you're somebody who wants to take that and, and use it to help other people, by all means, you absolutely can. And then you can also know that you're not alone. But if you're someone who just needs to move past it, I feel like that's okay too. Yeah. Yeah. I agree. And I think that goes back to, uh, the the self-awareness piece that you mentioned, like knowing how do you deal with tough situations? Is it bottling it up for a day, then going on like a six mile run or is it bottling it up and then using it to start a nonprofit, like your example to, to help people. So I think that just goes back to the the importance of self-awareness. I totally agree with that. Yeah. So, um, couple other questions here. So I know in in your personal life, you know, you obviously run your nonprofit, you're married and have two kids. Like how how do you have that work-life balance, especially in this like kind of at home work virtual environment? Because I know that can be hard to do. Um, Well, this year is the most challenging because on top of all of that, I'm homeschooling my kindergartner and second grader. Oh my gosh, that's crazy. (laughs) Because of COVID. So yeah, not that I need to, you know, make things even more complicated, but um (laughs) So, yeah, you know, I think the biggest um, the biggest takeaway from this year that I've learned is time blocking is key. Mm. So 
Um, I think that if you are somebody who's going to work from home, which many of us are right now, and if you are somebody who, when you're always home, you're working from home, you're living from home, you're doing all these things from home. I really think that time blocking your day is, is the only way to get through it. Um, and sticking to that, but also time blocking time for you, because if you don't make time for yourself, you just spiral down and time for yourself could mean, you know, going on a walk. It can mean reading a book. It can mean watching your favorite show. It can mean playing basketball in the driveway, like whatever that looks like to you or a bubble bath where no one can bother you, whatever that looks like, just taking that, that segment of time each day for you. And I've caught myself where sometimes I'm so busy and I don't do that and I feel it. And then I remind myself, okay, wake up early, take that class in the living room or go on a run or take my dog on a walk. And it really does reset you. So I think making time for you is just so key. Yeah, I agree. I like that you mentioned that because that's something that I um, have really tried to put a lot of investment into this year. Um, you know, I used to be that person that would work, you know, eight to five on the, on the main job, then do the side hustle from, you know, six to 10 and then go right to sleep. But now I like have a time block where I block off from 10 to 1045, give or take, where it's just personal development time that can be just sitting on the couch, journaling, reading. And because I've kind of blocked that time to just relax and, and recuperate, I mean, I, it's helped so much over the last few months. I believe it. Yeah. And, and just too, like with, with being busy and having a lot, I think it's important to sometimes just like turn it off. I mean, turn off the phone, turn off the email, just go outside, get some fresh air and kind of just let, yeah. like, kind of, sounds kind of hippie, but kind of just let your mind like flow in, into your thoughts and everything too, which is important. I completely agree with that. I completely agree with that. I'm definitely, I'm somebody who I feel like I probably over, I, I know I do. I'm, I'm not going to say I probably, I, I overuse the phone because I'm constant, like I'm working from my phone, um, taking personal messages from my phone and it's just constant. And then obviously like, you know, computer and just all the screens. And sometimes you just need to shut that off and just reset. And I, I totally agree with what you're saying. Yeah. The, uh, sometimes I get the Sunday like screen time, you know, when your iPhone sends you that. And I don't know if you've gotten that before, but sometimes it's like, oh my gosh, this is not good. <laughs> yeah. It's, it's awful. Yeah. It's yeah. I, I try to not even look at mine because I know the numbers are way too high, yeah. but yes, I agree with you. Um, and it's important just to have self balance and, and to be aware of that. I, I think it's something that, you know, not to say work smarter, not harder, but that, and that's so cliche, but it's so true. Um, I think especially in a situation like we're all in now where everything just kind of rolls into itself, you know, you're constantly, you know, you're working from home. And I know for me, even when I worked from home before a pandemic, that meant I was working longer hours because I wasn't in a commute. And so um, that right there, I was, you know, I found myself, oh, I'm just watching TV. So let me just do this, this and this. And then, you know, that was from my corporate world. And now in my entrepreneurial world, it's like times 10 of that. So it's hard to shut it off. That, yeah, that's one thing I miss um, of just being in the car. Like part of my role at my at my main job is a, is a sales piece. So with that's a lot of driving. Um, I like remember that driving time, just listening to a, a podcast uh, or listening to my own podcast is like some good reflection time. It's and now it's like oh, like let me just turn on the TV and do work. It's like no, nah, you still need to have that kind of like relaxing time, even in the pandemic and everything. I totally agree with that. Um, so can you touch on just again, like the advice, uh, just just for controlling what you can, like, I really liked what you mentioned when we first talked about that. I I just want to make sure the listeners can get a hold of that for sure. 
Yeah, definitely. So I think for me, just, you know, going through all the things that I've been through, which again, is not what most people experience, but the emotions of the process of what I went through is the same. So yes, most people won't lose a leg to cancer. Um, but there are people who do clearly. And, um, but you know, regardless of that, if you're somebody who's going through, you know, a situation at work, or if you're going through relationship problems or, sickness or whatever that looks like for you the emotions are all the same and there are plenty of things that happen along that journey that you can't control and for me I was such a control freak I'm a planner I like to just take charge of everything and when you're in a situation where you can't do that you can control your response and so that's something that I focus very much on just to be able to know that I can control something and so um, again I always let myself feel the emotion that I need to feel but then I pick myself up and I move forward and I don't let myself sit in that grief too long because that's the fine line. And that's, you kind of got to know the sweet spot of, of letting the emotion out and then moving forward. And so um, that's something that I've worked very hard on over the last however many years. And, um, and I've done a lot of self-development because of it, but you can control your response. You can control your reaction. You can control what you do moving forward with the circumstances you've been given and I think choosing to move forward is, um, is the only way to be. I love it. I, I totally agree as well. That's something that I'm big on. It goes back to that, that ownership piece of just taking ownership of, of both the, the good things and the bad things that are happening in your life. Absolutely. Yeah. And, and just for the listeners out there, guys, um, just to kind of summarize um, what Jen mentioned about that, just control your response, focus on what you can control. You can control your attitude, your behavior, your perspective. Um, sometimes mm -hmm. it seems like things are so out of your control, but, but going back to those few areas, uh, those are what you're in control of. So, um, well, Jen, what would be one word um, to really just describe kind of the, the journey that you've had so far over the last few years? Mm. Maybe perseverance. I love it. Perseverance. Mm -hmm. Cool. That's one of my favorite words. So I'm glad you mentioned that one. Oh, good. <laughs> yeah. Um. So, w with all that said, where where can people connect with you? I know you talked about Move for Gin when we first started, but I want to make sure the listeners have have a good avenue to hear more about Move for Gin, whether they want to just donate or just hear any stories, and and also with yourself as well. Yeah, absolutely. So um, you can go to our website, which is moveforgen.org, M-O-V-E-F-O-R-J-E-N-N -E -E with two N's.org. Um, I am on LinkedIn, Facebook, and Instagram. So you can find me on any of those platforms. Um, actually, my foundation has a page and then I'm listed as um, Jen Andrews, J-E-N-N -E Andrews. So um, we do, obviously, my personal ones are, are more about, you know, what's going on with me, but, um, I do highlight a lot of the foundation on there. And, um, if you go, especially with Instagram too, like with our events and things, we post a lot on there about what we're doing. And then obviously on our website, we have lots of good resources for people who want to get involved for people who are struggling with sarcoma and, um, and all of our events and, and ways to get involved with us. Yeah. Cool. Appreciate you mentioning those and I'll, and I'll throw a few of those links in the, uh, in the show notes for the podcast. Um, but other than that, Jen, your, your story is absolutely amazing. So uh, I, I really appreciate you hopping on the, uh, the Next Level Minds podcast today. Yeah, thank you for having me. I appreciate it. Well, that's it, guys. Thanks again for taking the time to tune into this week's episode of Next Level Minds. Be sure to check out uh, Jen's foundation, Move for Jen. Other than that, 
take the time to subscribe on Apple Podcasts, share this episode with a family member, friend, or colleague. And as we like to say here, your mindset is your greatest weapon for the battle of success.